through 6. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Zechariah had a message of repentance. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn you unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be you not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Now keep this in mind. We're told that they prospered in building the temple. They prospered through the prophesying of these two men. In other words, as these two prophets prophesied, it did them good, and they continued to build the temple. The first thing I want to point out is that Zechariah, who was one of these prophets, and his prophesying caused the men to prosper in building the temple, that his message was a message of repentance. You notice that in verse 3, that God commanded him, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me. Turn. Turn. I remember hearing a message many years ago on repentance. Turn or burn. <laughs> turn. Repent or perish. Turn or burn. The message that Zechariah was given to these people was a message of repentance. You know, the New Testament opens with a message of repentance, doesn't it? John the Baptist, who was the last of the prophets, he came, the scripture says, preaching, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a, a clarion call that John the Baptist began his ministry with. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after the Lord was baptized by John in Mark's gospel, we read that he began to preach. And what do you think, what do you suppose he was preaching? Repent ye, this is in Mark, repent ye and believe the gospel. When Paul when the Apostle Paul met with the elders of Ephesus for the last time, this is recorded in Acts chapter 20, they knew they would never see each other again in this world, and Paul reminded them that he had not shunned to declare unto them the whole counsel of God. And he made this point, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That tells us that repentance is an integral part of the gospel. Repentance is. What does it mean to repent? Well, the best definition, I suppose, the most common definition is a change of mind. A change of mind. But surely, 
It means a change of mind which results in a change of life. A lot of people change their minds about a number of different things. We change our minds a hundred times a day, maybe. <laughs> but repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. I think the best scriptural illustration is our Lord's words, if you look with me in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And beginning with verse 28. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 28. But what think you? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. You see that? He repented. He changed his mind, but changing his mind resulted in action. He repented and went. The father came to the second son and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. <laughs> Whither? of them twain did the will of the Father. In other words, which one repented? The one who at first said, I will not, but then changed his mind. He repented, and he went. And I'm just convinced tonight, my friends, that this is a very sad truth, uh, uh, a truth that is missing in so many places today the truth about repentance people are asked do you want to go to heaven well only a fool would say didn't <laughs> do you want to go to heaven well believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and their life is no different there's no change there's no repentance Paul said I when I was at Ephesus, I testified to everyone, Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God, first of all, and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. These two go together. Sometimes it's asked, which comes first? Well, they come together. It's like asking which, uh, when the bullet goes through the wall, uh, does the hole come first or the bullet first? You know, They're Siamese twins. Repentance and faith. Faith and repentance. And everyone who is saved by the grace of God is granted, is given both repentance and faith. Both faith and repentance. If you have faith tonight, you have repentance. You can't have faith and not have repentance. Well, look back here to Zechariah at his prophesying in these first six verses. I have several things I want to point out to us. If you've turned back here to Zechariah chapter 1. The first thing that I notice here is the Lord was displeased. Notice that in verse 2. The Lord hath been, and not just displeased, but sore displeased with your fathers. 
The Lord is displeased with sin. And I say sins, plural. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. That is, sore displeased with the sins of the fathers. And in verse 4, he seems to divide their sins, or that which displeased the Lord, into two categories. If you notice in verse 4, turn you now from your, number one, evil ways, and number two, turn from your evil doings, your evil ways and your evil doings. Now, it's suggested by some of the writers that the evil ways was the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry, the nation of Israel, and their idolatrous life and practice. When you read the Ten Commandments, if you read them in Exodus chapter 20, the second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything in heaven or earth to worship. And of all those commandments, you read them. It seems like that second commandment, that commandment which forbids idolatry, is, is greater than any of the others. Because God says there that those who practice that, they hate him. They hate God. That's what he said. Those who practice idolatry, they hate God. And to that particular disobedience to that command, remember, is attached the greatest punishment that God will not forgive them to the second and third generation, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the second and third generation. doesn't say that about any of those other commandments, does he? But idolatry, making a graven image for the purpose of worshiping, we take pictures, we have uh, photographs, and, but we don't take a photograph to worship, do we? That commandment is not against an image, having an image, but an image to worship. There was images in the tabernacle. There was an image of the, of the cherubim on the mercy seat. No, but the commandment was, thou shalt not make unto thee any idol, any image to be used in worship. And God says that those who do that hate him. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That's, that's what it says there in, in Exodus 20. Evil ways, the sin of idolatry. We know that that was the the crowning sin of the nation of Israel, the reason they were sent off and chastened like they were into captivity because of the sin of idolatry. They were not long out of Egypt, were they, before they had already fallen into that sin, before Aaron had a golden calf made and said, Behold your gods. Almost seems unreal that that could happen after seeing all the miracles and signs that they had seen after walking through the Red Sea on dry ground then to have a, a golden calf and say this is your God 
Hmm. So evil ways, it's suggested, refer to the idolatry, but their evil doings, their immoralities. Now the Jewish nation had been guilty of both, both evil ways and evil doings. We know that. Now the second thing we see in this, this prophesying, not only was God displeased because of their evil ways and their evil doings, but they wouldn't listen. They would not hear the prophets. Notice that in verse 4. But be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they would not hear. They hardened their necks, stiffened their necks. They would not hear the prophets of God. Oh, they'd hear the false prophets. They'd listen to them. But the true prophets of God, they would not hear. They would not hearken unto the Lord because the Lord was speaking through those prophets, through those men. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read that long list of those who who honored the Lord by faith, and some of them were those prophets that, that they didn't listen to. And they stoned. They said they were stoned. They stoned some of the prophets. Sawn asunder. Believe that Isaiah was actually sawed in, in pieces, his body, tempted, slain with the sword. They would not hear. Number one, God is sore displeased with your evil ways, your evil doings, and... Your fathers would not listen to the messengers, to the prophets of God. And then notice the third thing here. The Lord testifies to the truthfulness of his word. Your fathers, Zacharias speaking to these Jews, your fathers, where are they? Where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. There are two ways, I believe, to look at these words, this, these questions. Where, where are your fathers? Where are your fathers? Well, they're dead. They died in battle. Or they died in exile. They've been 70 years out of their land. Where are your fathers? Well, they're gone. And then, some believe, and the prophets. Well, our fathers died. So did the prophets. What's the difference? <laughs> What's the difference? And both are true. Both their fathers died, both the prophets died, but God's word is truthful and it's everlasting. We, we live in a day, and of course I'm sure it's been like this for a long time, but people want to think that the truth, the truth never changes. And truth is as sharp as a razor edge. It cuts the sword of the Lord has, has two 
edges, doesn't it? The Old Testament law, one edge, and the gospel, the other edge. The truth never changes. We change, men change, God doesn't change, and God's word doesn't change. And, you know, people think, well, we're living in a day, well, yeah, they, they used to say that was wrong. Well, if it was wrong a hundred years ago, it's wrong today. Right? It's not going to change. All right, here's the, the second part of the message. Or, yeah. So first of all, Zechariah had a message of repentance. And number two, Zechariah had a message of encouragement. And we see that in verses 7 through 17. Now, three months later, we saw that he began prophesying in the eighth month, but three months later, you notice in verse 7, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, God began to give Zechariah a number of visions. I believe there are nine of these visions that God gave unto him. And we're looking tonight at only the first vision. But the, this vision, the truth of the vision, rather, was given to encourage the elders who were building on that temple. And it's given for us, you and I today, who are involved in this spiritual temple that the Lord Jesus Christ is building, to encourage us. Because what we see in this vision, we know it speaks to us today as well. And I'll just point out a few things to us about the vision. Let's read the vision. Verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were there red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities, through prosperity, shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. 
Number one, the myrtle trees. He saw a man, he said, by night, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees. The myrtle trees represent Judah, the nation of Judah, at that particular time. She's not pictured by giant uh, cedars, by strong oak trees. She's pictured by humble myrtle trees. And the only thing that I would point out about the myrtle tree is that when its leaves are crushed, it puts off a very sweet, very sweet and pleasant aroma. Israel then, and the Lord's church in this world, is never going to be any different. Israel of old was a little nation among the nations, and now they're reduced to even less when this took place. But Israel of old, and the spiritual Israel of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is pictured by the myrtle trees. It's overshadowed by the powerful, the proud, the godless powers of this world. Remember the Lord Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Little flock, <laughs> for it's your Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. That's the myrtle trees, picturing Judah at this time. Number two, the man on the red horse. You notice he stands among the myrtle trees, and we find out in verse 11 that this is the angel of the Lord. Well, all through the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is the Lord, the eternal Son of God, who appeared before he came into this world as a man. He appeared in the, in the form of a man, and he's referred to as the angel of the Lord. He, he appeared to Moses at the bush that burned but was not consumed. And the thing I like about this is, number one, he's in the midst of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ and God is encouraging them. He was in their midst. I have returned, he said, to Jerusalem with mercies. What an encouragement to these Jews that were building on that, on that temple. God says, I'm in their midst. The Lord is in their midst. And what an encouragement to you and I. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised to be in our midst and is in our midst. We've got to, got to believe that and know that's true. That's what he said. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And then he was riding on a horse to show us how quickly he can come to help us. How quickly. He can respond when we cry unto him as a horse can quickly move. Then the third thing, the different colored horses, the red, the speckled, and the white. And you notice the prophet asked, what are these? And the angel who talked with the prophet said, he didn't say, I'll tell you what these are. He said, I'll show you. I'll show you what these are. And when he showed them, we see these are they that walk through the world and report to the Lord who sent them. They, of course, represent the angels of God. 
who we're told in Hebrews 1 and verse 14 are ministering spirits set forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Now these that we read about in this vision, they report back to the Lord and they say the world is at rest. And I was just thinking, uh, Assyria conquered Syria. Babylon conquered, conquered Assyria. Uh, the Persians conquered uh, Babylon. And now, at this time, the world is at peace. It's at rest. These great powers, there was one ruling power. And Darius, of course, was at, was at the head of that, that nation. Now, here's a fourth thing. The angel of the Lord interceded for Jerusalem. Notice that in verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long? He intercedes for them. And doesn't this remind us that we too have an advocate with the Father? That he ever lives to make intercession for us? That he's always there? And he's always heard. He's always heard. And then the answer returned, the answer that was returned are these good and comfortable words. Verse 13, and the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. What are these good words, these comfortable words? Verse 16, and then, therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem and I'm not only returned but I'm returned with mercies <laughs> that's, that's good news isn't it aren't you glad that he is a God of mercy and I, when I anytime I mention mercy I always remind myself if I deserve mercy it wouldn't be mercy <laughs> if I deserve grace it wouldn't be grace God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, save me by your grace. That God said, this house shall be built. That's what God told him. These are the good words. This house shall be built. That's one of God's shouts. <laughs> it shall be built. And all hell and all the demons of hell and all the powers of this world could not keep that house from being built. Just as our Lord said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. This won't happen. Why? Because it's founded on the rock, and Christ is the rock. I trust the Lord would bless these words.